Welcome to Alive and Kicking This Week in the 90s. Yes, your new weekly blast of 90s football nostalgia, where we look back at what happened this week, oh, nearly 30 years ago. Yes, that, that makes us feel very old. On today's show, we'll be looking at the Battle of the Bridge as Fowler and Lasso cross the controversial lines in their clash. We'll be looking at Rocket Ronnie, not the Miss, no, the other famous 90s thing Roddy Rosenthal did in that decade as he dragged Spurs from the brink of FA Cup elimination. And Cloud Nine, when Man United ran right on Ipswich and hit them for nine goals at Old Trafford, which I'm sure our guest will revel in when we get to that in a second. So this is This Week in the 90s. Hi, this is Elton Wellsby, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the outstanding 90s football podcast. Joining me, as always, on this new little show. I said always, it's only the second show, but it will be as always. Uh, they're part of the AK90s club, which is becoming a, a mysterious, like the dubious goals panel, I suppose. Um, firstly, he is a writer, blogger, journalist, whatever you want to call it, um, for many things. Sporting Matters, sp- Sportsmen, The Football Pink, loads of different things. You'll see it online. He does, he does a bit on this day as well. Uh, Matthew Christ, welcome back to the show, sir. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm eating my dinner, so apologies if you hear knives and forks being scraped, but it's a busy AK-90 sort of session tonight, so I've got to squeeze in my dinner, so apologies if you hear a chicken Kiev getting munched at some point. Not very professional, but I'm all good. Is that a double entendre? No, not at all. <laughs> it's a boring <laughs> chicken Kiev, some beans that are, you know, questionable by their sell-by date, and some rice. Um, and as You've usual... you got beans and rice? All done. No, runner beans. Bit of veg on the All side. right. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't that Alan Shearer's pre-match meal in, yeah, yeah. Like something in his Blackburn enjoyed. Rovers days? <laughs> anyway, that voice, obviously, as you always hear before I do his bloody intro, is social media mogul for The Voice. He is a Borough fan, Janino fan. Jolino, Mr. Joel Young. You all good, sir? I am, yes, thank you. Sorry, I just I, I get really peculiar out by strange meal combinations. I once went to my friend's house and he gave me chicken and an omelette. That's wrong. Which I thought was a very peculiar sort of meal to give this me. This will freak you out, then. Very quick, very, very quick non-football story. First time I went to Ireland to see my uh, wife's family. She worked, she'll kill me for this story. Um, her aunt, who she's not really favoured in the family anymore, but we went to hers for dinner, and she had this roast dinner, um, which was all right as roast dinners go. I like my roast dinners. It was okay. But for some reason, at one point, she decided to serve spaghetti and prawns on the side. <laughs> Why? And the look on my wife's face, I've never seen a look like it since. She was confused, she was trying to be polite all at the same time, but it was one of those moments that you had to be there. But bizarre so it was and a hilarious. roast dinner with spaghetti and prawns. For some reason. I don't know why. Very strange. I think she was trying, I think she heard that Joe liked prawns. She does, my wife, but she also likes roast dinners just on their own. So, mm. very strange. Anyway, let's talk 90s football. Let's delve right into this on uh, this week in the 90s. Um, we're going to start uh, right at the end of the decade, actually. 27th of February, 1999. Um, Graham Lasso and Robbie Fowler. Now, this is kind of... When I was reading about this and sort of looking back at it, it kind of made me think it's kind of a sign of the two ends of the decade kind of meeting in a in a kind of way. Not in the best possible example and manner, especially in Robbie Fowler's case. Um, for those of you who don't remember, this was the clash between Chelsea and Liverpool uh, that afternoon. Chelsea won 2-1, but it was the kind of headlines were taken by some gestures uh, that Robbie Fowler aimed at Graham Lasso. Um, mainly you know, homosexual, I think, is the, the nicest term you could possibly say that Fowler was doing in at, uh, at Lasso's direction. Because Graham Lasso, 
you know, he's one of those footballers who he read the Guardian shock horror and was looked upon as possibly being gay. He obviously has come out and said he's not, he's married and stuff. Uh, but quite a famous clash at the time. Uh, Fowler was no stranger to controversy, especially at the back end, no pun, no pun intended, at uh, the decade. Um, guys, I mean, th- this is a difficult one to, to digest in terms of, when you look on it now, it's really, really bad. I mean, it was bad then, but considering what we're talking about kind of nearly 30, 20 years later, um, not 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 nice for you, is it, uh, Joel? Oh, I thought I, I was really, really, really shocked by it to be honest and it was always something i knew about because obviously i was watching then but actually going back and looking at it with 2018 eyes it really is shocking and and you know there'd be a lot more uh, issues about it now i mean i don't think anybody would be that stupid and i think a lot of those attitudes within the game of being compl- like being phased out anyway i know it's not as sort of open as it probably should be but um yeah, I mean, really shocking to sort of see what he says. And, and I know, if being fair to Robbie Fowler, now I think he feels exactly the same yeah. way. Um, from from what I've said, you know, he's just like, I don't know what I was thinking. It was idiotic. He, he said, uh, I think I read an interview in preparation for this, saying that he just, he'd even got in contact with him a couple of years ago to apologise again, because it was just like, oh, the more I think about it, the more ugly that I think it is. And he's totally right. It's completely unacceptable i mean the weird thing about this is that it, 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 within the game um when graham was so complained about it he got booked for time wasting mm, yeah they both were booked for the yeah i remember that because i thought before i look back on it i was thinking he did something as well not quite as drastic but retaliate retaliated because it look, started off because he'd elbowed him yeah. hadn't he yeah and, and then so in the game i think they've gone up for a corner and he'd elbowed him in his head there was a bit of verbals going on and then uh Robbie Fowler started with his homophobic bit, and then uh, and then when Graham was so complained about it to the referee, he got booked for time wasting. I, I thought I, I thought he got elbow, I thought he elbowed him because of the did he elbow him? Abuse. I, I think I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what was so claimed afterwards. But I, I remember I thought it was a reaction to the. To the abuse, maybe, maybe because maybe because Lasso does did apologise for the elbowing at the time and and had written a letter to Robbie Fowler apologising apologising for it, saying in the heat the moment you do these things and blah blah blah. So, yeah. What, what's funny about it is well, not funny, but, but what's strange looking back at it now is how blatant it all is. You know, mm. in an era where play, players have their hands over their mouth when they're you know talking at free kicks or after the game, everyone's so conscious of what. People say to each other, and, and in subsequent years, we've had the um, Luis Suarez uh, case and uh, John Terry, and, and you know, it's been such a there's been such a storm over what certain insults traded on, on the on the pitch. But then it it was almost it was it was almost like there was no real no real shock. I mean, it was shocking, but it was almost as though it was sort of expected, and it was just part of the game. Whereas now, it's just even if one of those, but you know, oh, boys will be boys sort of thing. Yeah. Which th- thankfully, he's getting. Because sort of. Fowler was actually, you know, bending over, wasn't he? But basically, pointing yeah. his backside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you think, you know, how did he think he would? You can't really get a, excuse that, or, or even pretend to get away with it. Maybe he felt he he didn't have to, because he obviously had a reputation for being a bit of a character. Because was it the say it was a few years later? No, no, it was that season, wasn't it? He had the. Uh, he did the celebration against Everton. The... Yeah, and didn't Joe yes, say something, something like it was the something to do with the French? He was a symbol, a political sign. He, he was. I remember Gerard Julio making up some nonsense when it was clearly it was a reference to to drugs, obviously. And he was yeah. trying. He to was eating him. the grass. That's it, eating the grass. Yeah, ridiculous. But he did get a he did get a six game ban for this, and near an eight game. The, the punishment, from what I remember, what I was reading up, the punishment he almost got punished for both 
incidents yeah. at the end of the season and he got an eight-match ban or something, which is strange because I, I'm surprised it took so long, really. I mean, not so much the goal celebration, but the the Lasso case, you think they would be out, count down on him. I think today they would, absolutely. And they were both charged uh, by misconduct by the FA, which is kind of, you know, when you think about it, you know, okay, the elbow was was wrong, but I think in in his case, he was trying to, you know, he was wound up by uh, by Fowler. I mean, allegedly, Fowler says in his autobiography, um, he claims that he, he shouted sort of homosexual obscenities at him. And Lasso said, but I'm married, which was followed up by Fowler saying, so was Elton John, mate. Which Lasoya said that that never happened, but you know, cheeky, mm. scousy, scallywag reputation that Fowler had at the time. It, it's, it's lads, 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 lads. Exactly, lads. yeah. Um, and then Lasoya's later said that more than anything in his whole career, that offended him the most. So, I mean, it, it's an unfair reputation that, that Graham Lasoya, the thinking man's footballer, I suppose he was. Um, but a generation later, I mean, and especially when he had the follower and influence of Arsene Wenger and all these guys that came over. I think the side was the future recently. He's like he's he's sort of ilk of footballer came a little bit too soon for the lads, 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 lads thing, didn't he? I think. Well, yeah. I think I think you still, you know, you hear stories about the saw getting tortured and Pat Nevin used to go and buy two copies of the enemy because he knew one of them was going to get destroyed in the dressing room. So, but then he'd always have another one to take home with him, and it, it you know more than anything else, sort of having a brain was frowned yeah. upon more than anything else, being interested in anything else apart from football and women and drinking, gambling, yeah. everything um, else. You know, if you walked in and said, oh, well, I've read a book or, you know, what's this? And, and those kind of intellectual players, for want, want of a better phrase, were just completely, you know, it's like the school swats. Yeah, and the ones that were there, everyone could reel them off. There was Steve Copper who got a degree. It, it, it delayed his football career because he wanted to finish his, his degree. And I remember Brian McClare having a bit of a reputation because he liked he liked music and he liked reading papers and he liked reading books. And I think I think he may have done a degree or he started a degree. And it was almost it was almost a sort of it would always come up in in the conversation of a, a commentator, wouldn't it? It would always be oh he's got a degree so he must be uh, he must be clever that kind of thing in a, in a mm. quite a patronising way, but. Um, you don't really hear it now. Well, I don't know whether because players maybe don't obviously don't have time. Players now sort of go straight into football when they're about nine. So I suppose it would be very extremely rare for a, a player to do that kind of thing. But it just—I don't think it would be looked upon as, as, as such a down the nose as it was then. You know, it was it was almost a, it was almost it was almost an insult, wasn't it? To a, it's just like that weird inverse snobbery, isn't it, of, of that world? Then it just seems so odd. I mean, now Stuart Ripley's practicing law. You yeah. know, so they, these players, you know, they, and there's people who go on to have intelligent, smart careers, but it's kind of, it's the one thing that, that, you know, between that and being gay were probably the two things that it was verboten to be in a, in a dressing room. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. you know, I would like to think that's changed to some degree, although I suspect it's not by an enormous one. No, I think we'd like to see it move on a whole other sort of you know era in terms of, of that because we're still waiting for a Premier League footballer to even come out aren't we really Are, you know Thomas Hitzelberger is the only one and that happened post Premier League post football career but it, I hope it happens at some time you know you have the rainbow campaign that seems to happen at some point during the season is it during the winter I think at some point where players start wearing the rainbow laces and things like that so we have come on since this 99 controversial clash but yeah we could move on a little bit more uh, let's move on ourselves and and talk about a, a game from then this is quite a random one because it it sticks out in my memory because it was a live game and for people listening who are more used to the modern day where there's pretty much a live game on every night of the week uh, this was rare this was an fa cup replay 
um, from 1995 between Southampton and Tottenham uh, at the Dell, the old Dell, one of the you know my favourite old grounds, probably close and used to scare the life out of teams. Um, a game remembered for Ronnie Rosenthal. Now Ronnie Rosenthal is somebody tagged with arguably, I oh, know no, scratch the word arguably. It's the worst miss of all time. You can say <laughs> what you want about others. There's a Steve Stone classic against Reading um, in later years. Chris Ulumu uh, and Scotland against Norway is another classic as well. But this, you know, if you have never seen it, what are you doing? Go go Google Ronnie Rosenthal Aston Villa. But on the flip side of that, he was a half-decent striker, you know, played for Liverpool, um, went on to Tottenham as well. Um, and then this game, he completely changed it around. Southampton went 2-0 up in this one before Rocket Ronnie came on at half-time, scored two goals in as many minutes, first on the 57th and then on the 59th, then a cracker in extra, t- extra time on the 102nd minute to help Spurs win 6-2 in a, a proper FA Cup comeback. Um, guys, we were talking pre-record about this, and I was saying it's a bit random, but you both really remember this game as well. Joe, you remember watching it live like I do. Absolutely, yeah, I was watching it live, one of them where you're just sort of laughing, because Tottenham weren't even meant to be in the FA Cup that year, that was the year of the, uh, they'd been banned for financial irregularities and had 12 points deducted, which then all of course disappeared, and and on wallop them, I mean, I'd forgotten, to be honest, that Klinsman played in this game, but he sets up a couple of the goals, Um, but it's when Tottenham had that incredible forward five, famous five up front. And uh, what a team. And Rosenthal was, you know, a sub at best at Tottenham. Yet he comes on in this game and scores a few belters. Yeah. St- and you've got to go on, the, Matthew, go on. say that in terms of sort of underdog, you're looking at it as a bit of an underdog story now. But Southampton have beaten Tottenham twice in the league, I think, that season. They had a, a pretty decent team. But I think people going into the game, a lot of people thought Tottenham were favourites. So uh, when, uh, when Southampton found themselves, it was 2-0 at half time, wasn't it? Two and a half yes. times Alan yeah. Ball's Two and a half time, yeah. But, but Rosenthal was always looked upon as an Im- what you'd call now as an impact player, wasn't he? I mean, don't forget, he won, he won the league with Liverpool in 89-90. Again, mostly as a, as a substitute. But he, he couldn't half bang in the goals. I remember him scoring a hat-trick for Liverpool. Was it away at Charlton or Crystal Palace? I'm sure it was at Selhurst Park. And um, he, he, he's got a reputation probably because of that miss. But he, he was a he was a pretty pretty decent goal scorer when, he, when called upon. And... Uh, no, not more so than in this game. And like you say, he didn't have cracking a few goals against uh, uh, Bruce Grobler, wasn't it? In goal for Southampton. Well, the time. Bruce Grobler had a ask terrible about, game. Though. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. Obviously, there was the uh, allegations of Bruce Grobler kind of a couple of years after this. I couldn't remember if this game was one of them that was pulled up because there is some very questionable goalkeeping, as good as Ronnie's uh, goals were, especially the third one. And I did wonder and think, was this a game? I don't know if you guys remembered if this was one of those. I, included. I don't think it was. I don't think it was one of these games because I think that was. I think that had all sort of been cleared up just before this. I think maybe in the '94 season. But um, no, I I went like, what's he up to? Because he he comes rushing out a few times, and yeah. there's the third goal he doesn't even go for. He just sort of he literally pulls his one. hands away. It's really peculiar on yeah. the on the third goal from Rosenthal. Um, he pulls his hands away, sort of going for it, and then unless he thought it was going wide or what. I mean, obviously that's the unfortunate thing with Bruce Grobler now is is the fact that you're going to think every time he's made a mistake or had a bad game, you're going to think, well, was he was he getting paid for that? And you know, who knows? Allegedly, uh, yeah. No, well, it, was, no, it was proven. It was proven he wasn't. Obviously, so. it was proven he wasn't. Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, I'm saying you're thinking that. I, I said one, the royal yeah. one. Um, I thought it, you know, it crossed my mind. I, I, I'll, yeah. stand, I'll open and say, hmm, because I think because the commentator 
I think it's Barry Davis off the top of my head. It's Tony Gubber, isn't it? Is it Tony Gubber? Yeah. Yeah. One of the great BBC ones, obviously. Um, he says something like, oh, Grobler didn't even go for that. And that's what kind of yeah. triggered in my memory. And it could be just a, you know, it probably was just an innocent comment. But you're right, the stigma of that whole thing unfortunately stuck with it. In and fairness, it means, so, it means Grob- you question it every time. But Grobler did have a bit of a reputation, even going back to his glory yeah. days at, at Liverpool. I mean, he was a fantastic goalkeeper, but he wasn't half guilty of making a few horrible blunders at times so you, it wasn't out of character by any means I think um, he follows it up by, try, by trying to say he has just come back all the way from Zimbabwe so I don't know if yeah. he was on an international break a few days prior to this and, and rushed back for this game but yeah he does try and, and cover himself up and the other goal scorers that night were Teddy Sheringham Nick Barmby and Darren Anderton which says it all about that you know as, as you said Joel the famous five and probably a bit more uh, that Aussie started I think Jerry Francis was uh, the manager for this game as well who kind of tried to shore up the back line that Aussie or Dolis never never really did um, they went on to play Liverpool in the next round um, they won 2-1 um, Sheringham and Klinsman score and then there was that um, semi-final against Everton that they completely collapsed where they, where they lost 4-1 and Daniel Amakachi, former guest on the show here go back into the archives and have a listen to that one he scored twice um, I think they were favourites for that one and then obviously Everton went on to win the FA Cup in the year um, the only other I thing think- Go on, I think Joe. if you were, I think if you were a fan of, you know, anybody in the quarterfinals, you weren't a fan of anybody else in the in the semi-finals that year. I think most people wanted Tottenham to win the cup because everybody had just fell in love with Klinsman so much. Mm. Well, I, I, was uh, at the, I, I was at the other semi-final that day because United had Palace at yeah. Villa Park and um, Tottenham played Everton early on in Ellen Road, and I think everybody. Everybody in the United crowd and most of the country, I think, expected it to be United Tottenham final, a sort of dream final as the neutrals would have probably built it. But obviously, that Everton side were massively, massively overlooked, and as they the proved in the final, yeah, because um, it was pretty convincing the semi final, wasn't it? Four mm. one mm. at, um, at Ellen Road. But I think there was this sort of hope among people that there was going to be this dream final between um, United and Tottenham, which. Obviously, there never was. As so often that is the case with FA Cup semi-finals, isn't it? You don't. With, that was the Paul Rideout goal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 Oh, Steve, Steve, you're allowed Steve one Bruce moment, this... Matthew. You're allowed one moment of disappointment in this glorious decade. You can't have well, it all. The thing is, United had lost the league, hadn't they, the week yeah. before away at West Ham. I remember coming out of Upton Park that day thinking, well, that, you just knew that United weren't going to win the FA Cup. It was just the whole the life, the air had just gone out on the side and... Uh, no surprise when when Everton won that game. What was a surprise was what Steve Bruce was doing on the line. I mean, he, it's like he had divers boots on, wasn't he? because the ball bounced down from the initial shot, and Bruce was on the line, and just sort of just stood against the post almost and let it go over his head. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that'll but, be the ball going in. Yeah, just um, like um, but, Nigel Worthington. Did, but like, no, uh, yeah, 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 that's exactly what thinking, yeah. yeah. Um, the only the other thing I was going to say about that game, and I know this isn't uh, really something that you guys are interested in me, but what a bloody lovely kit that was uh, that um, Tottenham away. The wearing. Tottenham away one, the yeah. yellow one. Yeah, yeah, nice. Lovely little flash on the one of those random. Holston? Was it Holston? It was a classic Holston. They should always be sponsored Hummel. by Holston. A Hummel kit. No, I think it's. Um... Yeah, no, it is Hummel. No, it is. No, is it Umbro. Humble? It's an Umbro kit. No, I think it was Umbro. Yeah, it's, it's an Umbro kit. Yes, yeah, Umbro yeah. did their kit. Because that was in that batch of. Chelsea had a similar one, the collar. It almost had like a double collar. Like a. It was like a shirt collar, wasn't yeah, it? Beautiful from what yeah, beautiful Yeah, bring back the polo. Every yeah. year we keep our release their new kit. We haven't had a polo shirt collar since, what, 98, 99? I don't know. We were wearing it in, yeah, oh, that's probably, maybe, yeah, 98, 99. No, 2001, we had one. But yeah, the 98, 99 kit, that's what they need to model it on. 
Herrera, if you're listening next season, please. Um, as... <laughs> Mate, you'll be lucky. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be some dog standard template. Have they got this year's kits in the shop yet? <laughs> yeah, no, they've been all right, actually. So, better than Mate, we used to be waiting until October for kits. No, they've been pretty decent. I, I'm quite pleased with them. Um, better than Lotto we had a few years because their kits used to take for ages. But I digress because um, I'm going to let Matthew have his moment now because there's a couple of Man United moments from this week. Um We'll talk mainly about the first one, 4th of March 1995, a record-breaking day for the Premier League and for Manchester United. Um, I, I remember this really vividly because I don't know where I'd been, but I remember listening on the radio. I was driving in my dad's car. We were driving round uh, Blackheath and Greenwich. I actually literally can see myself sitting in the car and looking out the window at Blackheath Common um, and hearing about this come through the window. Probably Jonathan Pierce because it was probably Capital Gold because that was my dad's radio station of choice. It was the day that Man United's banked Ipswich Town 9-0, which in those days we hadn't really seen a, a scoreline like that probably since, was it when Liverpool beat Palace? Liverpool Crystal Palace, yeah. 18, October 89. Yeah, so Does really it? the first of the decade that we'd seen a goal score in the top flight of this magnitude. Um, I've obviously got to come to you first, Matthew. What are your memories of this sort of landmark game for May United, for the Premier League and of course for one Andrew Cole? Yeah, well, it just summed up United in that era, didn't it? They just had so many attacking options. And when they, compared to watching them now, it's, 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 it's chalk and cheese. But they just had so many attacking options. I mean, um, what in, what's interesting, put it into perspective, uh, Ipswich had beaten United at Portman Road earlier that season, 3-2. Ipswich had been 2-0 up. United clawed it back to 2-2, as they so often did. Uh, I think Boncho Genshev came off the uh, bench There's and the name. set up. What yeah. a name. Sorry, I've got to stop you there, Matthew. That is, oh, he's one of my favourite random 90s players. Brilliant. Buncio Gunchev, everyone. Google him. Yeah. Carry on, Matthew. He, he came off the bench and I think he set up the winning goal. And, and I remember it well because it, it was it was a bit of a shock result at the time I was there. I was in the home end at Ipswich and had to, I'd been, when United brought it back to 2-2, there was a few of us in the home end and we'd all got up and give it, gave it the big one because we thought, well, this is it now. United are going to go on and win it. And then they ended up <laughs> losing it. So we ended up scarpering for our lives at the end of the game. Um but United were three points behind Blackburn, who were leading the league back then. Um, and Ipswich were pretty much in the bottom three, facing a relegation scrap. Um, but what's interesting is, this was, post, this was only a few weeks after Cantona had been banned. And if you look back at that season, everyone says, oh, what a huge, huge blow it was missing, missing Cantona, which it was ultimately. But um, it does make you wonder what on earth the score would have been if he had played. Because if you watch the game back, as I did earlier, the attacking prowess United had in that in that side obviously Cole grabbed five goals although I think one was very dubious one, one, yeah dubious goal pattern yeah. wasn't it yeah, yeah you got it but I think it was pretty much an own goal but Mark Hughes was on fire he, he had a couple McClare was was rampaging forward as he often the did Pollins is very cheeky yeah well that's what I was going to say because there's what's interesting about this game was it Craig Forrest the keeper came it was, out yep, Canadian, Ips, yeah. Ipswich keeper came out about 40 odd yards outside his box handball deliberately or whatever he handballed the uh, the ball and he only received a yellow card which is strange because I'm sure today that would be an automatic red and yeah. um, and before he could even run back from his position of 40 yards outside the box Inch just chipped it into the, the empty net which again I think I'm sure now that would cause some kind of controversy. It didn't then, and it probably wasn't that important then. Cause I it didn't matter. It I think seven nil then when that. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> it's just it's just interesting to, to to see it now, and obviously him not get sent off. Probably just as well he didn't, because it would have the scoreline would have been uh, would have been even more. But it was it was United at their rampant best. It really was. I mean, I remember Hughes having a great 
sort of bicycle kick as he always often did come back off the bar and um Cole nodded it in and uh, everyone was just everyone was just on fire and it was probably the last big hurrah that United had that season because that was February wasn't it so they started to stumble a bit going into that running and uh, that's how Blackburn ultimately went on to to clinch the title which is hard to believe when you just won a game 9-0 mm-hmm. it was that that was yeah 95 yeah. wasn't it so yeah, 95 yeah 4th yeah, um, of March 4th so, of March 95 yeah. so um and Ipswich did that, did actually stay up, which is hard to believe after he just been bashed nine nil. But they, uh, I think they finished fourth bottom and stayed up that season. But um, it Probably really is more of a successful uh, season than United in their own way. Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's it's a funny season that for United. I think we I think we talked about it a few months ago. It it was all going so well, and then the Cantona incident it all went so horribly wrong, and. Uh, Ultimately, a case of what could have been, but um, back then on this day, it all looked like everything was going to be rosy because obviously United went joint top. Um, I don't think Blackburn played that day, or they may have been playing on the Sunday. So, with United winning 9 0, I think it probably put them top. They won I think, uh, Aston Villa that day, Blackburn. Uh, they, okay. they were away at Aston so, Villa. So, they maintained three. So, Blackburn was still three points clear of United despite the. Uh, despite this 9 0 thumping. But I think most people at the time thought it was just a case of if and when. United were obviously clicking and it was a case of if and when Blackburn fell by the wayside, which they obviously didn't do and, and fair play to them for that. And I think they're hugely under underrated for that season. I know a lot of people think, oh, United blew it and threw it away at the end of the season, which they sort of did, especially at that West Ham game. But Blackburn were pretty ruthless. They, when they needed to go somewhere and win, they did. And, and uh, You don't win the league what, by accident. No, that's what, great, that's what champions do, isn't it? And fair enough. They did what they had to do, apart from that game at Anfield on the last game of the season, which would have been brilliant if Andy Cole, Andy Cole had found the net when he should Well, he used up all his goals in this game, didn't he? So he yeah. Didn't, he didn't really oh, have a, have a job. I was just looking at that team. You talk about last hurrah. I mean, other than Andy Cole, obviously, went on and was part of the treble winning team and Giggs, who was there forever. It really was the kind of that team that kind of reels off from the come on your red side, wasn't it? You got Schmeichel, Palace, Owen, Kachelskis, McClare, Ince. Giggs, Cole and Hughes and then even on the bunch uh, on the bench Lee Sharp and alright Nicky Butt was obviously a little bit later um, and then opposed to the Ipswich team it really was a mix of players you forgot and sort of journeymen like David Linegan's in there Steve Sedgley Stuart Slater Lee Chapman played that day which I completely yeah, flew crikey. by me that he was even at Ipswich I imagine that's the same Lee Chapman um, up front it came on for Ian Marshall I mean if that isn't a 90s swap <laughs> Ian Marshall for Lee Chapman um, Alex Matthew there's a name from the decade as well I mean I mean Matthew's obviously the right there he said he's pretty much it all but Joe I mean I like you at the time I mean QPR won at Wimbledon that day is, is a game I remember I'm not sure what Borough were up to but you thought United had we'd won have it, been, we'd have been down a league I think but it was that it, year, I think. It yeah. was seen as, you know, United are going to sort of close in on this at that point when they'd beaten Ipswich 9-0. Did you think that at the time? Oh, God, absolutely. Just just everything you've said, you know, United in their absolute pomp and swagger and, and yet ended up potless at the end of it all, you know. But, you know, they came back the next year and obviously did the business all over the place. But what made me laugh, and you mentioned some of the players there, it's a lot of the same players who, and you lucky people haven't listened to this yet, but we watched the Manchester United documentary from the 1989-90 season for the <laughs> podcast. And half of the players in this team feature in that uh, documentary at some point. So that was making me laugh. We had double reason. Yeah. Have you watched this? Have you watched this thing, Matthew? You need to go and find it on YouTube. Which, uh, which behind, the scene, behind the scenes, Manchester United 89-90. Well, it's on yeah, YouTube. I have- 
I had haven't watched it. We did a podcast. I had that on VHS, yeah. Oh, did you really? So that is yeah. well, so you may help us. Is. You're going to help yeah. us now, then, because we had the answer. What, where the hell this was broadcast? Was it a video at the time? Then yeah. no, it was a video. If it's the one I'm thinking, yeah, it's um, it was like the club did. It was before the days of MUTV, but the club would bring out videos at certain points of the season. Inevitably, if we won away at Liverpool, it would always be on a video. And uh, but yeah, it was um, it was quite. <laughs> you've obviously watched it more recently than me, but what. I have watched it back since, and it's it's painfully staged and, and awkward, isn't it? It's got got, Mar- <laughs> got Mark Mark Hughes on the chair on the treatment table That's getting his legs shaved. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Archie knocks Archie knocks and Alex Ferguson in the change in the in the office talking tactics and uh, oh yeah, it's, it's I used to watch that religiously again in the days of didn't you know non rolling sports and and you know no late night TV or anything. I just used to put those videos on over and over and over again. How and, funny! Uh, I could probably I could probably recite that, but. I, I think I got that for Christmas. I must have got that for Christmas because I remember watching it. And uh, yeah, it was just it was the first couple of games of the 89-90 season because United beat Arsenal 4-1 on the opening day and then they drew away at Palace. And it shows United going down to Palace on the coach. And yes, the, yeah. Jim, uh, well, there's a little spoiler. There. There's a little spoiler there from from Joel and Matthew. That's coming in the next couple of episodes. Um, it was an idea brought to us by Sid Lambert, who found this footage um, when we had a chat for it. We all had a very big laugh. One of my our favourite episodes we've done. That's coming soon, and it's interesting. Is that is the whole thing on on YouTube? It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah in three yeah, different parts. Right. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely watch that. Then, even though out. I can pretty much remember every bit of it, but I haven't seen that for probably. Well, probably since the, since it came out, it's I probably, glorious. I still, it's absolutely still, glorious. But we'll get... I've still got the video. I still I still have the VHS, and I'll tell you when when I go back to mum and dad's next. I'll dig it out. Dig I'll, it out. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, just final note on this Man United game. Um, did you know it was the their record defeat since? Uh, sorry, record win since they beat Andalect ten nil in nineteen fifty six. Yes, oh, that wow. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is this that one of those always... facts that comes up on the bottom of that uh, yeah. behind the scenes? <laughs> Don't talk about it now. It's not going to make context, is it? Um, <laughs> but Kenny Dalglish did the best deadpan response to this game. He said, you only get three points whether you win 9-0 or 1-0. Which is right. It's true, but the nine goals could have made a big difference. They could have. Yeah, goal it turned just one more thing I wanted to mention, and it's on the same Man United uh, sort of tangent completely, and it's in a season that ended much more uh, glorious than it did for this uh, the game we're talking about. A year later on the same day, 4th of March 1996, again, Matthew, you'll remember this well, an Eric Cantona goal for Man United ends Newcastle's 100% home record, and the win brought United within one point of Newcastle at the top of the table. Now, if I've only just realised in the last sort of hour that this was added on um, to this this week in the 90s, but if my memory serves me correctly, Matthew, this is the goal at, old, uh, at Newcastle, Cantona, bottom corner, from the sort of edge of the six-yard box that really was the yeah. the beginning of the end for Newcastle and your rampant rise uh, rate of the title. was that is that right? Yeah, yeah, it was a huge turning point. Monday night game, uh, United had been chasing Newcastle down. You, obviously, we know the story. Newcastle had been running away with the league until about December when, funnily enough, United beat Newcastle at Old Trafford and then that sort of starts with the wobbles and United chasing down. And if you remember, Newcastle absolutely battered United in the first half. Michael played out of his skin. He made some fantastic saves. And then, as United did so well at the time, had their one chance. The cross came over. For, I think it was a Keane or something. I think, I can't remember. It came over to Cantona and he sort of trapped it down and just, just struck it into the far corner. And uh, that was one of those wins where you thought, you know, something's changed here. And obviously... Obviously shocked Newcastle, and um, that would, they never really recovered, did they? Because that February, that March, April, that's when the uh, 
that's when the rot set in and then you had the almighty meltdown and then we all know what happened next yeah that was tragic the, it was the turning point yeah. in the season it was the you know the downfall of kevin keegan but i remember again it's like the the tottenham game we were talking about earlier i think this must have been on telly as well especially it yeah it was the monday it was the monday night sky the monday game, night yeah, football, which, so. which that was when monday night football was it was always big games wasn't yeah. it i mean now you now you get leicester stoke and all that but then <laughs> Poor old Jamie I, I don't know how, i don't know how far in advance they had to plan it back then but it seemed like every time there was a, it, there was a merseyside derby on a monday or it was a league you know a league running game or a they're always good games on a Monday night, the, the classic uh, Liverpool-Newcastle game. But I don't know when it changed, and they obviously thought that that's not where their peak audience is because I can't really remember the last time. It's because they show about peak. nine games on a Sunday now and yeah. four on a Saturday and yeah, you know, I suppose it's whatever's left on a Monday night. Joe, yeah, is there a game it... that for Middlesbrough, because I think Man United is irrelevant, they all share the big games, but is there a game that Sky seems to be obsessed with with Middlesbrough? No matter what decade or what sort of division you're in, they always show Middlesbrough V. Is there a game like that? Well, we used to get the derbies quite a lot, and we're on this weekend to date the podcast, the Leeds game. Um, so Leeds tends to get on, uh, obviously, Newcastle, Sunderland, yeah. Manchester United, actually, um, because we've had a few results at United down down the years, and we've beaten mm. a few times at our place. So that was one that used to sort of come up a lot. I mean, nothing recently, of course. Oh, well, actually, it's a couple of years ago on, in the uh, League Cup. I think did we win on penalties after a nil-nil. Keep it 90s. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, we won, we won at Old Trafford in the 1990s, if you want to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I, I just remember... No, I, remember. I mean, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to keep it 90s for a second. It just it makes me think that Sky are always obsessed with QPR Reading, and it's always the most boring, dull game <laughs> that you'll ever imagine throughout the season. But they always show it live. They tend to like QPR Millwall as well. Again, just as bloody boring as well. London derbies must be easy to show. Um, but what made me think of it is you say Monday Night Football. One that I always remember, and Sky still do it now, they always, always show Norwich Ipswich. And it's always in Monday. It used to be always like a Monday Night Football. It, old... it did then, but now it seems to have gone the Sunday. Yeah, it's more of a Sunday, Sunday now, isn't it? But yeah, Sunday it, early. It did remind me, the old farm derby, as they call it. Um, yeah, classic. That was just remind me. Um, just quickly finishing on this with Joe. I mean, Eric Cantona scoring that goal. Did that kind of prove that that he was the missing element? Not that Man United were a one man team, but he brought so much, didn't he? We talked a lot about this on the the season look back that we did for this year. Go back in the archives, but I think it proved that he was such a big character in that kind of middle nineties United that he came back. He was a difference again in that season. I just think everything that's been said about Cantona that can be said has been said. You know, talismanic. Um, it just uh, amazing talent. He found himself a home after years of being a nomad, really. One of these that nobody really knew what to do with. Everybody knew he had talent, but nobody knew where he'd end up. I mean, he'd almost come to England as a as a sort of backwater, hadn't he? Just yeah. because he had nowhere else to go, going to was it Chef Wednesday? Chef Wednesday first. via a random indoor game. Go on, that's on YouTube somewhere. That always makes me laugh. Yeah, in his in that Mister Tom kit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then you know to Leeds, and then. And then the sort of weird turn of events that got him to uh, to Old Trafford. But yeah, I mean, just he's just everything that that, that that club needed at 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 that time. And just you know, unless you're a Liverpool fan or a City fan, I don't see how you can't completely be in love with Eric Cantona. Yeah, very true. We'll do at one point. We will do a show just on Eric Cantona because I think it's warranted. They're going to do a few of those sort of '90s icon shows, and I think one of them we probably start um, with Eric Cantona. He's in the uh, 
header on our Twitter page at AK90s that was designed by Chris Sutra, friend of me, friend of show. Thank you very much for that, Chris, that we designed it over the Christmas break, our new Thresh look. I hope you've noticed that. Um, this was new. This was fresh. This was this week in the 90s. Again, it's, um, you know, there wasn't as big as week as there were last week, but some weeks we'll have more to talk about um, than other weeks. But I thought we'd got some good subjects there, especially the 9-0, because that's always a, a landmark still. It's, I'm trying to think, is that still the... Re- I think it's still the record scoreline in the Premier League. I know Tottenham beat Wigan 9-1, so that's technically, you know, a di- you know eight yeah. goals to the nine goals. But I'm pretty sure it's still... I don't remember a bigger scoreline than 9-0. No, our biggest one was beating City 8-1. I don't um, think that's that a Alves result that's going to happen anytime is soon. Is that when Alfonso Alves actually made up for the transfer fee? Yeah, yeah, he got a hat-trick, I think, oh that day. God. Did he score four? I think he might. Can't I remember, but he definitely... Leicester yeah. hat-trick, yeah. Yeah, oh, I found. Oh, there's a name from that. That's like when it's they do a 2000s podcast. That's going to be the time that players forgot, isn't it? Alfonso Alves. Alfonso Alves. Oh God, don't. There'd be a lot of the borough. Massimo Macaroni. Yeah, that's that's for another day. Hey, yeah, hey, hey. UEFA <laughs> Cup final, man. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Anyway, um, if you if guys want to get in touch with my pals here on uh, Alive and Kicking, um, Joel, where can they find you on the social network? Uh, that would be Joel Baby Herc on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Herc with a C. So there you go. You're very frustrated at Top of the Pops this week. I, I saw a couple of teams. It was rubbish this week. There was, <laughs> there was two bad ones on this week. And then, well, I watched one of them on Thursday and then I watched another one on Saturday night when I got in, but it was really bad and really boring. I was uh, I was a bit upset about Top of the Pops this week. Okay. But, you know, Bar- Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand and Dixon still number one? No, no, no Barbara Dixon. Barbara Dixon and Elaine Page. Barbara Dixon, or... sorry, Elaine Page, yes. Oh, sorry. It's been Keep... Easy Lover by Phil Collins oh. and Philip Bailey's been number one. Oh, now, it's, oh, yeah. now I tell you what it is, it's We Are the World, USA for Africa, and it's awful. Yeah, I don't bad. care what good it did, it was just <laughs> an, it was just a total self-celebratory exercise from these American pop stars. But at least Prince wasn't there, that's one thing. Right, well, while Joel keeps it 80s on his timeline, Matthew, where can we find you on the social network? <laughs> it is at Matthew J. Christ or uh, matthewchrist.co.uk for articles rambling on about football in the 70s and 80s and obviously 1990s. The beauty of the 1990s. Thank you very much, yeah. gents. This has been This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the original 1990s football podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with more glory 90s stuff. And we've got another show for you coming, uh, hopefully by the end of the week, where we delve into the weird cult classic world of Renford Rejects. Don't remember it? You soon will. I've been Ash Rose. Catch me at Ash Rose UK or the show at AK90s. And until next time, keep it 90s. Alive and kicking.